everyone, welcome back to the Thermo Diet Podcast. Uh, my name is Christopher Walker, and I'm here with the love doctor, Jayden Miller. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> um, today, we're going to be talking about low T. We're going to go into a little detail about the concept of low T, uh, what the conventional wisdom is that you, you kind of hear everywhere when you talk about it or search for uh, information about it and that sort of thing. And then uh, take a more... Um, focus look at some things that you can do to help turn it around. You know, if, if you're experiencing some of these issues or if you know somebody who is, uh, this will be a very helpful episode to shed some light on like to do's essentially of what people can uh, get into in terms of, you know, increasing their T levels naturally and not having to go toward using um, the pharmaceutical treatments that, that are commonly explain to people that that's like their only option which is not true at all mm-hmm. you know what's interesting is like that what i hear everywhere with with people um you know talking about testosterone and low t is that they they always just say the same thing they always say that it naturally declines over time mm-hmm. as if like the time itself is the is the problem right right and it seems like a really convenient thing for the pharmaceutical industry to put it that way. Time is not something that you can really control, right? Like it marches onward and and so forth. So most mm-hmm. people just think like, oh, if, if that's true, then I can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. So I have I, to take this drug. Yeah. So I think one interesting aspect of it is like the actual history of whenever they started using polyunsaturated fats in like the commercial industry. So whenever they started putting it into our food, you see a lot of these studies that show uh, testosterone has decreased for 1% by every year since like the 1980s, like the average testosterone level of mm-hmm. males. And so um, they actually started using a lot of these polyunsaturated fats in our food in the 70s. And so I think that impact has just been um, dr- pretty dramatic over the years too. Yeah, it's it's definitely, if you look for more like causal relationships over like a population-wide decline in in uh, androgen levels mm-hmm. it makes a lot more sense rather than time like clearly time happened during that that period and clearly the more you expose yourself to these actual causes of low t over time you can have lower testosterone obviously mm-hmm. but time itself is not what's doing it it's it's those things it's things like the the food supply you know drastically changing really over the last hundred years Hmm. um the the introduction of pufas into the food supply i think first happened in the 20s and 30s and then yeah by the 70s it it became so common um that in the 80s uh that like it was just normal Mm -hmm. Uh, and and there was a lot of uh, marketing push around like heart healthiness and whatever with with using these vegetable oils and margarine and shortening and that sort of stuff where um you know i can't believe it's not butter Mm -hmm. like that that sort of marketing really had a huge push then in the 70s and 80s and um that was a big part of it uh you also see the uh over the last hundred years kind of the the rapid um uh, cash crop uh growth of an industry of soy Mm-hmm. Uh, and then probably the most, uh, one of the most insidious things being the, uh, the rise of the endocrine disrupting chemicals in terms of, um, food packaging, like basically all, you know, plastics, personal care items. There's so much stuff in all this, uh, sunscreen, um, pesticide use mm-hmm. widespread across the, the entire food supply. 
Uh, a lot of pesticides are just completely, um, you know, very, very harmful endocrine disrupting chemicals. Mm-hmm. It makes a lot of sense really how, how this can happen. Um, but most people don't like, especially, you know, doctors or like popular media don't ever really talk about that stuff. They just say like, Oh, low T is an issue. Mm-hmm. As you get older, it goes down. Well, it's like, that's not entirely true. It's not entirely false. It's just kind of this half truth or, or whatever. It doesn't give you any sort of real information. It's like, clearly, if you expose yourself to pesticides and, and endocrine disrupting chemicals, and you have nutrient deficiencies that develop chronically over time, which that's, that's how it works, you know. If you're not eating magnesium in your diet and you're not supplementing with magnesium from the time you're 20 to, your, to the time you're 75, like clearly you're going to become more chronically deficient in magnesium. Mm-hmm. That's a, a logical thing to think. Uh, but nobody talks about these like underlying real causes of low T. They just say, yeah, it's outside of your control. You mm-hmm. can't really do anything about it. It's just time marching forward. It's normal with age. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're hopefully going to help you guys out. And like it for the people that uh, want to know the real causes, that's what we're going to get into today. And uh, whenever it comes to a lot of these like endocrine disruptors, they have the ability to attach to the androgen receptor and make it active. Um, so the testosterone to estrogen ratio within the body becomes very unbalanced. And then you see um, there's a lot of correlative studies seeing that whenever estrogen is high, cortisol is also high. So te- the mm-hmm. testosterone to cortisol ratio is also unbalanced too. So testosterone is kind of getting attacked from all these different aspects, especially like whenever you have a high amount of body fat and then the aromatase enzyme is increased dramatically and then you have like SHBG attaching to it so mm-hmm. it can attach to the androgen receptors. Um, and it just c- becomes a downward spiral that leads you to these um, deficient testosterone states over time. Because SHBG basically um, increases as your liver gets overworked, mm-hmm. and um, the if you look at like what if you look at kind of the, the the accumulated toxic load essentially of like all this stuff that the average person really puts into their body, mm-hmm. these these like foreign chemicals uh, that aren't meant to go into your body. Uh, especially if you look chronically over 10, 20, 30 years, uh, a lot of people, people are like, have the, have these habits and these, these dietary habits and, and, um, exposures, uh, it makes a lot of sense why their SHBG would go up quite Mm -hmm. a bit. And then their T levels go down, especially bioactive, you know, bioavailable testosterone. SHBG is binding to it and it's being overproduced. Mm -hmm. So you have too much of it. Um, also things like even like Tylenol, chronic Tylenol usage, uh, has been shown to drastically increase SHBG. So, um, that stuff is terrible too. There's all kinds of studies showing that it's related to like age related cognitive decline. Um, not including like the, all the stuff that it has to do with the liver too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. NSAIDs typically in, in the NSAIDs also, I don't know if Tylenol is actually an NSAID, but like at, Advil, for example, would be an NSAID, mm-hmm. a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug. Ibuprofen. Ibuprofen. Um, they cause like, ulcers. And they like c- cause a lot of gastric problems. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually had three ulcers when I was 18 from Advil use. Really? Yeah. They Internal bleeding. Like, it was pretty serious. It was really serious. It was from Advil. Um, so I'll never use that shit again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um but yeah, just, okay, so some symptoms of low testosterone. I think a lot of people know if they have it, but, you know, we'll cover some right here. Basically, you know, if you have low sex drive, low libido, 
uh, chronic fatigue, poor sleep, hair loss, increased body fat, uh, muscle loss or inability to gain muscle, and even uh, psychological symptoms like depression and anxiety are really common signs of low testosterone. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I, I think probably the most noticeable one that people will go to the doctor for is the libido. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you wake up, you stop having a morning wood and it, you haven't had one for six months and then you're like, oh, shoot, you have no interest in, in sex or anything. And then it starts turning into this like noticeable issue. And I think that's what drives a lot of guys into the doctor. Mm-hmm. And then the doctor's typically will say, you know, oh, it's common as you get older. And then here, take this. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you see it like more commonly with a lot of young men nowadays too. Like you see yeah. it 20, 21, 22 years old. And <clears throat> that's supposed to be like the peak of your sexual health in a lot of cases. Yeah. I think the, uh, just studies I've seen, like the, the peak testosterone levels are supposed to happen at age 19 or 20 okay. in, in a guy. Um, so yeah. It's that's because uh, you see this huge jump as through uh, uh, like puberty and maturation. Obviously, like uh, male children don't have super high testosterone levels, but you do have a lot of testosterone present uh, because of the sexual differentiation uh, from like the, that's how the fetus basically either becomes a male or a female mm-hmm. is the presence of testosterone in the womb. But then you see like kind of through puberty that the, the levels just jump way, way up. Um, through about age 19 or 20 mm. uh, in a guy. And that's really where a lot of the, um, you know, I guess masculine uh, development happens in terms mm. of like becoming a man versus a boy. So one thing I found that was really interesting is I was doing this video on uh, on low T and like the history of it. Mm. And the concept of um, castration I thought was really interesting because if you look through history, uh, humans have known for so long about the power contained within the testicles uh, because that's where you produce testosterone, right? Mm-hmm. So they uh, have been using in, um, you know, old ancient cultures, I mean, forever, uh, Egypt, China, um, uh, Islamic cultures, they've been using castration as a tool uh, for controlling men for thousands of years interesting um and like especially in china they basically built it into the culture uh where they would there would be like thousands of imperial eunuchs who they that's they would castrate not only their testicles but also the penis well brutal fuck so they but they would use them in the imperial court because they could control them and they would also uh control them with wealth so it was common for uh, these imperial eunuchs to grow extremely wealthy and very powerful. Hmm. Um, but they they uh, lacked, like, basically, I don't know, we were talking about this yesterday, like, I would never, like, I don't care how much gold or silver you're going to give me, like, the, no way, mm-hmm. that's crazy. But culturally, that was a, a thing, like, they that's what they did. And actually, the, they did it for for a really, really long time. And the, the last... Um, the last Chinese imperial eunuch died in 1996. Oh, dang. So it was right wow. up until, um, I think, like the early 1900s, in the, the last imperial, the end of the Chinese imperial age. Hmm. Uh, yeah, 1912. Basically, he was the last guy that, that was a castrate, and he you know lived up until 90-something years old and 
died in 1996. Hmm. So uh, <clears throat> pretty interesting. And then, so that was one way that they used the eunuchs in, in you know, culturally over the, over thousands of years, last thousands of years. Uh, they also would use them for um, elite soldiers. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Like in Game of Thrones, like the Unsullied, you know. Mm-hmm. So the the Unsullied were all castrated. That's why the sex scenes in Game of Thrones were so awkward between the, that one guy. <laughs> what was his name? Like Grey Worm and, and I don't know. Missandei I, or whatever? I didn't watch it. So oh, you didn't? Know. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. That, <laughs> I was like, well, how's this going to work? <laughs> yeah. Man. You would think that that would lead to less effective warriors in the long run. That's what I thought. That's why I was when I was watching that show. I was like, "That's kind of weird." Maybe that's but, why they had to have so many of them. Yeah, but they were like elite troops. You know, they were like these uh, very, very like the Navy SEALs kind of thing. But that that was my first thought too. I was like, "Why? Why are they? You think this would make them worse?" Mm-hmm. But it was, I guess, it's easier to control them um, when you don't have that testosterone flowing through your veins then you kind of just become an it. Like you're not a man, you're not a woman, you're just an it. Whenever you look at a lot of these primitive cultures too, you you see a lot of the organs like the testicles um, and the heart especially as delicacies. Um, and what I, what's interesting is that the organ that has the second most amount of testosterone in the body is the heart um, because it's so protective for the heart. What's interesting is that um, it's actually... Um, pro-inotropic and lysotropic. So it helps with the contraction and the uh, relaxation of the heart to make it more powerful. So it's more effectively pushing blood um, around the body. And then whenever you have estrogen, estrogen is actually um, antagonistic to that. And it also promotes the uh, leakage of different uh, fluids that are in the blood uh, from the system as well. So it's really interesting to kind of see the different hormonal aspects that uh, testosterone can have as well, like the protective effects that it can have. So it's interesting that like, especially in, I wonder if there um, were, well, there, actually there are. So there, like a lot of links to like cardiovascular disease um, or d- dysfunction in some kind with people that have chronically low testosterone. Mm. Uh, and then they also, w- one thing that's interesting that I've, I came upon was like a lot of, um, a lot of issues with, with uh, TRT, testosterone mm-hmm. replacement therapy, uh, are almost identical to actually having low T. And so I've actually looked into this a lot. And one of the reasons that um, like people who are on steroids and taking like an excessive amount of testosterone in a lot of cases, the reason that their aggressiveness is so high and because they have these different um, like psychological um, challenges is because it's the rapid aromatization mm-hmm. of that testosterone into, into estrogen, estrogen. Yeah. that just completely throws their mind out of whack. Yeah. Um, and so I think that happens with TRT too. It's just, yep. it's rapidly aromatized because you're getting this giant burst of testosterone out of nowhere. Um, and it leads to all these downstream effects. Well, and when your body is, is naturally producing the testosterone, it's naturally also regulating uh, estrogen mm-hmm. and aromatization because it has a, a feedback loop that's kind of built in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you have a normal healthy level that's being produced naturally, it's going to there's going to be a balance and there's going to be a healthy ratio that's achieved between the estrogen levels and testosterone. Mm-hmm. But then when you take TRT, uh, the per- natural production of your own testosterone shuts down because mm-hmm. it um, it shuts down the signaling first of GnRH from the hypothalamus to the pituitary. 
And then consequently, LH and FSH go down. So it's not only shutting down the natural testosterone production, but it's shutting, uh, shutting down spermatogenesis. Mm. Uh, so people that, that go on to um, TRT, it's, it's actually a really uh, common and well-known uh, medical phenomenon that they become impotent over time, or there's a high risk for impotence because their body stops producing sperm, mm. uh, which also is, again, it's like kind of a, like a trait, like why, why are you doing that? Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that the oils that the, uh, that the testosterone is suspended in is a polyunsaturated fat which leads to oxidation in the area that it's going to be in, hmm. which is going to increase the prostaglandin synthesis and the estrogen synthesis within that area. And then it's going to convert even more of that testosterone into estrogen too, uh, which is really interesting. And I think that in a lot of these cases, the guys who are on TRT, like their lifestyle and their habits are very bad too. In a lot of cases, like they take this because of all the things leading up to the low T, like their yeah. diet and, you know, their exercise regimen and stuff like this and a lot of the psychological aspects. And then they have this quote unquote fix, so to speak, and um, they don't change any other aspect of their life and it leads to... The habits stay the same. All of it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. When you find or search for a quick fix like that, a Band-Aid really to put over the real problem, uh, most people don't do the work to figure out like, why... They don't even make the connection somehow. Like, why do I have this in the first place, what, this problem? Mm-hmm. And then they're given something that's like, oh, this will solve your problem. Uh, but it doesn't because they keep doing the same stuff. And then it's now it's it's causing more of a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, the There's a lot of research showing the risks over the, over the like it, it's been coming out basically, I think, since about the 80s, showing the risks of testosterone replacement therapy. Uh, and um, unfortunately, a lot of doctors don't, inform people of the risks that are, that are involved uh with with it and um it's it's interesting because a lot of people just don't think about the history of of things but really the history of testosterone replacement therapy is less than 100 years old hmm. so it's very young it's like a new thing um and at first what they what they would do like you mentioned the delicacy of like eating testicles mm-hmm. in a lot of cultures um, that was at first like the, the, uh, prescription by a lot of doctors in different cultures over, over the last couple thousand years, they'd be like, eat these bull testicles or these tiger, this tiger penis. That was a Chinese thing that they would do. And the very first drug was called Testafortan, Fortran, Testafortan. Uh, and it was actually in, I think Germany, uh, where they, they made that, but it essentially, uh, was Yohimbine. And that, this was in the 1920s when this was made. So, himbine and um, uh, extracts from testicles. Hmm. And what happened though was essentially the in, so that that like triggered a in the pharmaceutical industry a, like kind of a rapid development of like other types of drugs just like that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, however, the issue is that that um, testosterone, uh, the oral testosterone itself, was essentially. Um, uh, inactivated by the first pass effect of the liver. So it would go to the, into the liver and the liver would see it as a foreign substance and deactivate it. So it wasn't useful whatsoever. Mm-hmm. It was just a placebo. Um, the Whereas opposed to like, like basically the testes, because they produce testosterone, but they don't store it, they mm-hmm. send it out into the bloodstream. Um, th- this as a hormone, like testosterone is not uh, in, in the these like extracts from the, from the testicles. Like it, it can't, 
actively use the body can't actively use those if if they're like a foreign substance like that so um they found that out eventually mm-hmm. that these were just useless placebo supplements um but like things like the thyroid gland can actually store thyroid hormone mm. so um eating a glandular th- from thyroid actually can have an effect same with the pancreas uh, but for whatever reason, the body doesn't, it doesn't work that way for the testicles. Mm-hmm. So certain organs will work that way. Certain ones won't for certain hormones. Um, so what happened was they eventually figured out how, what a steroid, I think it was in the forties or thirties. Yeah, it was 30, 1935. Um, they figured out the actual molecular structure of a steroid hormone. Okay. And then they were able to produce it synthetically from the non out. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of where it was born, but that's that's 90 years ago, right? 85 mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah. So it's such a young thing that we're now in, you know, since the 80s, really. So for the last 30 years, people have been being like, I guess, doing research on TRT in the sense of like, what are the side effects of this? Mm-hmm. What are the long-term effects of this whole thing? And they've found, you know, it's a very controversial thing, um, but they've found a lot of evidence that should be known as a risk factor to people that are considering doing it. Like for example, TRT has been shown to increase prostate size by 12%. Um, It's also been uh, shown to many times to accelerate prostate cancer to make it way worse. Hmm. And that's likely because of the aromatization of the extra T, you know, unnatural um, testosterone that's in the system. Uh, It turns into estrogen. Estrogen is well known to fuel tumor growth Mm -hmm. and can, you know, make, cancer is more aggressive definitely because it's a very uh it's in a very reductive state and they've shown that a lot of different tumors are uh reductive and so cortisol and estrogen specifically tend to surround and be within the tumor and kind of protect it and keep it within that reductive state so it can keep promoting the cellular growth within that tumor Mm -hmm. um i think another interesting aspect is like the perspective that the masses have on testosterone so kind of like their perception of a higher amount of testosterone leading to uh, a a bunch of different bad aspects within the male personality and the masculine Mm -hmm. um like aggressiveness and all these different behaviors that aren't actually really correlated to high testosterone levels um i've seen that usually whenever men have higher testosterone levels they're a lot more calm um, they're a lot more, uh, slow to react to a lot of different things, but they're also a lot more driven and ambitious and, uh, resilient to authority. And I think that a lot of this propaganda, especially that's coming out with veganism and stuff like that is to promote the demasculinization of men in, in order to, um, allow them to be pushed in a direction that the mat, that the leaders kind of want them to go in. Yeah, mass control is a real thing, and it's been practiced for thousands of years by kind of governing bodies mm-hmm. of of uh, whatever area. And it, you know, it sounds like conspiracy, but it's real. I mean, it's very, very real uh, that these sorts of things could truly be happening because of mass control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hmm. um, like population control type of thing, and uh, like especially with cultural movements like masculinity stuff. Um, they can kind of just take on life, a life, a life of their own. Eventually, like people just get so emotional and blah blah blah. Like they just feed these in media cycles and philosophies and whatever, and eventually it can run rampant. And that's why it's always good for people to like look back at 
uh, like what are the facts about this and and uh stop taking assumptions as facts mm-hmm. uh stop believing propaganda as fact like use use your brain and figure out what's real about this stuff and i was giving a talk once at at a like an all men's conference like with male entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and uh, i was doing the q and I was talking about testosterone and how to naturally improve your testosterone for these guys and uh one of the questions that this, this guy asked was like well, why would I want to increase my testosterone? Isn't that gonna, isn't that proven to give me prostate cancer? And I was like, no, <laughs> no. There's no evidence that that natural testosterone levels, uh, natural testosterone production at any level, as long as it's natural, will lead to any sort of prostate issues. There's literally no evidence of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the evidence is actually all in the TRT having that sort of effect, and then the TRT itself accelerating prostate cancer development mm-hmm. making it more aggressive yeah and a little extra context behind that is that the average young male usually produces around five milligrams of testosterone a day and usually whenever you take a shot it's anywhere from 100 to 200 milligrams at once and so your body's kind of like oh shit what is this i got to get rid of it and kind of balance things back out so that's why the estrogen um the promotion of estrogen from that testosterone is usually accelerated which mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, it's a compensation effect. Your body's trying to regulate the ratios. It's all about these ratios. Mm-hmm. So the excess estrogen is like a, a pretty predictable byproduct of using something like this. Um, but most people don't talk about it. Don't like doctors don't warn against it. I, I think most doctors don't even think about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why you see people that are like really experienced bodybuilders who are using steroids um, and use very like s- super physiological doses of testosterone. Um, they are very, um, uh, if they know what they're doing in terms of the steroids, they're using also um, like estrogen blockers to, mm-hmm. to regulate that. And that also like doing that stuff just leads to a whole host of other issues. Yeah. Bye um, bye liver. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why you see a lot of these high level bodybuilder guys, like they die very early, mm-hmm. very young. Um, and they look really old, like their skin, they look like old guys and they're, mm-hmm. you know, 28. And yeah. Like, but they look like they're in their forties. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's probably another topic for a different episode though. Yeah. Whenever it comes to the prostate cancer thing, I've seen some really interesting studies that are coming out actually using DHT um, to get rid of the cancer and actually prevent a lot of the cancer from taking over the prostate itself. Hmm. Um, Because that's actually one of the main theories right now is that DHT promotes the synthesis of prostate cancer. Um, And they're actually using DHT specifically to fight against it in a lot of these studies, which is really fascinating to me. Yeah, DHT is a extremely powerful androgen, uh, and it can't be reduced. Mm-hmm. So, I guess it, it makes sense, mm-hmm. and it would lower estrogen. Um, it would influence that ratio too, the mm-hmm. DHT to, to estrogen ratio. Um, interesting. There's actually a lot of interesting uh, correlative studies that also show that uh, a, whenever you're deficient in DHT, that hypothyroidism is pronounced. Um, and actually becomes a lot more aggressive in a lot of cases. So the more DHT hmm. that you have, um, the higher functioning thyroid that you'll probably have as well. Yeah, and there's a whole lot of myths around DHT as well, like people thinking that it causes hair loss. Um, it doesn't. And that that would be another good episode we could talk about. Hmm. Um, 
and we'll, we'll definitely go into more detail about that. But yeah, uh, suffice it to say, it's a little more complicated than low T being caused by a clock moving forward. You mm-hmm. know, let's talk about like what people can do. So, um, you know, basically what in, uh, you know, if, if people have read Master Your T, it's basically a pretty comprehensive look at like everything you could do and all the information you'd ever want about um, about how to increase your testosterone levels naturally. Uh, I think a couple of the big things, though, are just basically the number one most foundational thing is essentially overcoming micronutrient deficiencies. Mm-hmm. And then the, the second huge thing is um, uh, basically lowering your exposure to endocrine-disrupting chemicals. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you take those two things, and if that's all you focused on, you would um, – definitely have a huge huge impact on your natural testosterone um because you're basically eliminating blockers mm-hmm. and not only your testosterone but whenever you begin to focus on these things all areas of your health typically tend to be enhanced mm-hmm. um, and kind of uh, increased dramatically because whenever you are fighting to increase one protective hormone you're typically going to be increasing all protective hormones within the body and lowering stress hormones. Mm-hmm. So again, those ratios are really important between stress and protective hormones. Um, but yeah, there's, I, I, I tend to think of, of, uh, testosterone as like a leverage scenario. Mm. If you're just focused on that, what you're doing though, is actually like supporting all those protective hormones at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, but leverage wise, it's like a matter of focus. Like, okay, I'm a guy, I'm going to focus on my testosterone. Mm-hmm. Boom. And then it has like a really big impact on all everything else. Mm. Um, and same with, you know, thyroid. If you were to focus on thyroid, like that'll have a huge impact across yeah. the board. That's what I, I like to dig into is the thyroid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so just some facts about um, micronutrient deficiencies. There was a study done a few uh, years ago on like a population-wide study in the U.S. And a lot of people think, oh, yeah, I'm not deficient in whatever, like in any vitamins and minerals like i eat healthy mm-hmm. no you don't the population wide statistically <laughs> um 92 of people are deficient in choline mm. which is also uh probably completely correlated to the prevalence of fatty liver issues Definitely. in people mm-hmm. um 35 of people are deficient in vitamin a 31 in vitamin c 30 or 67 in vitamin e uh, 74% in vitamin D, 67% in vitamin K, 100% in potassium, which is interesting, hmm. 39% in calcium, and 46% in magnesium. So uh, the first thing that pops out is like the electrolytes, mm-hmm. um, such important minerals, but in, you know, obviously this is a population like statistical study. They didn't, they didn't measure everybody in the U.S., right? Mm-hmm. But they measured a large group and then took the, the data there and kind of extrapolated it. Um, but 100% deficiency in potassium, 39 in calcium, 46 in magnesium. Um, I don't see sodium in here, but sodium is also definitely very high mm. in deficiency. That, I mean, those are significant electrolyte deficiencies that people have. Um, when you wouldn't think so, like you would think like, oh, you know, I get salt or whatever in my, in my food. And, Mm -hmm. but no, mostly like there's this huge trend of low salt. Mm -hmm. Don't eat salt. It causes these problems. Mm. Um, 
most people aren't consuming foods that are rich in these sorts of things, clearly, if potassium is that high. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can go to like the backside of that too, whenever we have soil depletion and less nutrients within our actual food because yeah. the soil that we grow it in is doesn't minerally have the nutrients that are necessary. Poor, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that um, vitamin A was deficient because that's necessary for steroid synthesis. And so whenever you're when, like a lot of people, whenever they don't have the active form of vitamin A, which is retinol, which comes from animal sources, um, they lack the ability to properly convert uh, cholesterol and different things into the steroid hormones to be converted into, you know, all the downstream. Yeah, and that's why I I read a study about deficiencies in vegan and vegetarian diets uh, that were really common, and that was one of them. Um, And the conclusion of that study was that essentially that most – testosterone issues that a vegan or a vegetarian would have would come down to um, deficiencies that they have in the diet hmm. as well as obviously like also exposure to um, the estrogenic or phytoestrogens because phytoestrogens are extremely common in in uh, that sort of diet mm-hmm. yeah so essentially like people don't get enough of these these um, vitamins and minerals and at the most basic level um, and this is why I explained this on the Order of Man podcast too, and and uh, I think it kind of helped some people like turn on a light bulb in terms of the way they think about it. But if you're deficient in these things, you they're raw materials that your body needs to produce these hormones properly and do the signaling properly, and, and uh, even neurotransmitters. Mm-hmm. Like everything functions better when you have all the raw materials that are needed for those processes to actually take place. Mm-hmm. When you're deficient in them your body starts to find other ways to get them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to pull from other areas. It's going to take things and convert them into um, that, you know, that raw material that it needs. Mm-hmm. But eventually you can't eventually you hit a dead end because you, you stop functioning at, at the, I guess like the healthy thriving level because you're essentially just, your body's like stripping from other areas of the body. It's taking other, raw materials, converting them into whatever it needs, uh, eventually run out. Like if you're not actively providing more into your body, if you're, uh, practicing poor dietary habits, if you're exposing yourself to estrogenic chemicals that are, that are kind of cascading a sequence of events that, that leads to these like imbalanced feedback loops in Mm -hmm. the body. And if your body just quite frankly, doesn't have the raw materials it needs, it's going to eventually show signs of, of, uh, the suffering that is involved with that. And eventually for guys, you know, low T is an extremely common, Mm. uh, side effect or symptom. Mm -hmm. So, uh, what are some of the protective effects of testosterone specifically that we can look at? Well, I mean, obviously it basically protects all your male reproductive function, Mm -hmm. um, period. Mm -hmm. It's also like you mentioned, protective in the heart, Mm -hmm. um, in the blood. And the blood is an interesting thing that most people don't think about. Uh, it's it's basically like how you get all the nutrients, how you get the, that's. I mean, that's where the testosterone goes to to be able to hit the receptor sites, mm-hmm. and it uses proteins to travel um, through the blood. And um, if these, if any of these things aren't working properly, like in this big closed system of your body, then uh, it's all going to go out of whack, out mm-hmm. of balance. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would also venture to guess that the thyroid and testosterone, thyroid, like T3 
and testosterone also have a um, nice interplay in terms of like protecting your thyroid gland and your liver um, because they both go through the liver mm-hmm. in terms of the, the functioning. Like there, there is a small amount of testosterone produced in the liver. Uh, but you know, T3 is, is obviously like made active in the liver. So. Mm-hmm. And it's very important in the Leydig cells to have energy production in order to produce testosterone and T3 is intimately tied into that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's also extremely important for bone density too. Yeah. Actually in the eunuchs, uh, the, the castrated guys, they, they all had osteoporosis. Really? Yeah. Wow. Interesting. So the calcium interplay there is interesting as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because calcium is one of those things that's not typically correlated with testosterone, but you do find a lot of calcium related issues with low testosterone guys. Mm. Um, the, uh, and obviously it's like really important for neuronal signaling, mm. like neuro- neurotransmitter signaling. Cause it's a, it ca- like CA two plus basically it acts as like a, a it's an, it's an electrolyte. It's a, a signaling, um, uh, trigger essentially mm. yeah. for, for, um, uh, action potentials mm-hmm. and any sort of ionic um, signaling. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, actually here. So here's a study. 1976 group of researchers found that calcium stimulates testosterone synthesis in isolated Leydig cells. 33 years later, another study saw that calcium supplementation increased T levels post-exercise by 18%. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. So get your milk. Yeah, or calcium supplement or something mm-hmm. mineral water yeah the form of calcium is very important too you want to make sure that you have a calcium carbonate um, the other forms typically cause a lot of digestive distress and are extreme they tend to like um, basically back up the system in a lot of cases so making sure that the form of calcium that you're supplementing with if you're not getting it from food sources is very important as well yeah so the that's the micronutrient deficiency so the next aspect of this whole thing that you can do that you can take action on immediately is basically endocrine disrupting chemicals. Mm-hmm. And in the thermo philosophy, we call these things blockers, like getting rid of blockers, things that are taking you away from health. Um, so a good way to think is like, get rid of blockers, introduce activators. Hmm. So introduce more micronutrients, uh, measure your micronutrients, figure out what your deficiencies are, correct those, get rid of blockers. So uh, blockers in terms of endocrine disruptors are crazy common like everywhere Mm -hmm. um even in places most people don't think about like pesticides i mean a lot of people there's obviously been since the organic food movement has kind of taken place in the last 10 years or so there's been a lot of arguing in the kind of the fitness world of like oh organic food's no different than than uh regular conventionally grown food Mm. but they always they always tie that all the people i've ever seen arguing about it they tie it back to weight loss Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, we're not talking about weight loss here. Yeah. We're talking about other stuff. Like, and eventually, uh, especially those studies that, that talk about like weight loss with that sort of stuff, they're so short term. Like it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense if you were to look at like the endocrine load or the, the kind of the EDC load over time mm-hmm. of, of um, consuming a lot of these pesticides. It's just like kind of undeniable that it's going to disrupt your hormonal balance. Yeah. And it might take longer, but like it's still doing it. If you go 10, 20, 30 years of just eating this stuff um, and not paying much attention to it, it can be dangerous. It's good that people pay attention to it because then this stuff can be banned. Like it shouldn't be using a lot of this stuff. A lot of things that are banned 
in other countries, the U.S. still uses it. Mm-hmm. And then there are certain things that even the U.S. eventually bans the use of. And then it's still being used in other countries that are growing food that's imported into the U.S., mm-hmm. like bananas. Yeah. And um, they are there. What was it? There was like some crop in Malaysia. I think there was a banana farm in Malaysia. I saw like a, a documentary on this stuff. It was like they, they imported a lot of their bananas to the U.S., and Australia and stuff. So, uh, but the the um, workers on the farm were suing the uh, the the overall food company or whatever it was because all of them had like their kids had like birth defects. They had they developed all these cancers and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so the workers were basically like seeking compensation for their health, their negative health effects of working with all these these chemicals that they were still spraying on on the plants mm-hmm. um, and on the fruit. So it's something to be mindful of. It's very real. Like the, and that, that story is common all over the world in terms of farms that are using this stuff. It's mm-hmm. common for the workers to have all sorts of really serious health problems uh, that span generations. Like if you have a, a child with a birth defect because of the chemicals that, that the woman was exposed to picking some sort of crop on the farm that's being sprayed by these heavy pesticides, um, that's, that's tragic. Like that, that sucks. Mm-hmm. But a lot of these foods are still being imported into the U.S. And a lot of these chem- chemicals are actually neurotoxic as well. So they tend to mess with brain development in the fetus. But then also over time, whenever you're exposed to them, they tend to promote things like Alzheimer's disease um, and a lot of age-related cognitive decline. Uh, and so whenever you mitigate your exposure to this, then you're mitigating your risk of having those later on in life because they've shown that only, like, I think it was 5% of cognitive decline diseases are um genetic the rest of them are epigenetic yeah. so they're expressed through environmental factors yeah i think most things are epigenetic mm-hmm. in terms of disease mm-hmm. um obviously we have genes and they can turn on or off in terms of expression mm-hmm. based on environmental influence definitely so most most diseases aren't genetic in nature mm-hmm. but but they are they have a root in the genes but they were turned on by some sort of exposure environmentally mm-hmm. so yeah pesticides are one of the most common and widespread especially in the food supply obviously and then uh, you have other things like parabens and phthalates and uh, triclosan uh, the bp class of chemicals mm-hmm. um, they typically all like they're in like food packaging they're in personal care items like shampoos and toothpaste and deodorants soaps all this stuff that that we're putting all over our bodies and on our skin which is highly absorbent obviously and largest organ in the body Mm -hmm. straight into your bloodstream Mm -hmm. and it it adds up i mean it creates a toxic load and your liver has to handle everything and eventually your liver gets overworked too and um, there, a lot of these chemicals can bind to estrogen receptors. Mm-hmm. Um, so they start to express estrogenic, uh, cascades and chronically it, it you know, like some people might not seem like a big deal, but if you think about like over the next 30 years of exposing yourself to this, there's no way it can be a good thing for your body. Mm-hmm. Right. So just bringing awareness into your own life about like, how can I make some better choices about the deodorant that I use or the soaps or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, the foods that I eat, are they being sprayed with these, these pesticides? Mm-hmm. Um, can I just pick a slightly more expensive, but better option, um, for my long-term health? I mean, it's 
like I, I said that in a video about um, like in the thermo diet shopping spree, like a lot of people complain about the expense of better quality food, mm-hmm. but then they're not going to complain about like buying new video games or, or spending money on, on uh, going out to the bar and, you know, spend a hundred bucks that night on something like just, just drinking or whatever, but that they won't spend like an extra dollar on a pound of grass fed finished beef rather mm. than like some shitty beef. Right. Yeah. Or some good eggs, good eggs or good mm-hmm. butter or something like that. Like, it's, it's really not that hard to budget for the, these things. And especially nowadays, it's so much more common um, and v- much more affordable to buy good food. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people have just wrote it off because originally when this, this higher quality organic food was introduced into the marketplace, it was, it was significantly more expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, nowadays, it's not really yeah, at it, all. It's not terrible. And it's a lot more accessible to so many more people now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, major grocery store chains carry it. Target has their whole line of of organic stuff now mm-hmm. it's just very common walmart sells grass-fed beef like it's it's a common thing now uh, uh culturally to to be able to get access to better food mm-hmm. so and if you don't have ability to go to the store and get it then you can usually order it online somehow too oh yeah it's even easier than yeah. going to the store it's There's 2020 <laughs> yeah you can order stuff online so yeah that's that's uh probably our uh we'll wrap it up there with um the just some basic really high leverage tips for increasing your testosterone if you have low t but kind of the real causes of low t mm-hmm. re-examining that uh for yourself and look in your own life like if you have low t problems uh before you jump on the trt train you need to know the, the risks involved as well as the um try to find the real cause in your life like what just examine your habits mm-hmm. what have you been doing for the last 10 20 years in terms of what do you eat uh what kind of exercise are you doing or lack of it Mm-hmm. Um, what deficiencies do you have? What endocrine disrupting chemicals do you expose yourself to on a regular basis? Mm-hmm. Uh, these are really simple ways to to start reversing this issue naturally. It's definitely possible. Just realize that um, it took your entire life to get to where you are now. So it's going to take a little bit of time for you to get out of that state. It's not going to take nearly as much time. I think in the estimation that I saw one time was for every year that you've been Doing that, it takes about three months to get out of it. Um, so that's just something to keep in mind too. Like it's not an overnight fix. Yeah, but the benefit is the the habitual process that gets developed mm-hmm. uh, because it is a progression. So like it might in your first three months, you might not be all the way where you want to be, but like you're gonna see results. Mm-hmm. You're gonna feel a little bit better for six months. You're gonna feel better. Nine, twelve, but you're gonna just progressively feel better. And then you're going to be developing habits that support it long term. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we still have people riding in to Umzu and um, with Thermo and stuff in like older age that especially guys with Umzu that are in their 70s that bring their T levels back up to like 800, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And so I just don't buy this idea that it's something that naturally has to go way down the older you get. And you have to just resolve yourself to that. It just doesn't make any sense. Definitely. Mm hmm. Thanks for listening. Um, We'll catch you on the next podcast. Have a good one. Catch you on the flippity flip.